know a lot about golf. Hey, another weekend's gone by, which means it is time for us, those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. I am in the studio. He is Jeff Smith, and uh, he is back in the golf cave and down in the warm climates of Orlando, Florida, where all of us wish we were. We want to welcome in Peter Kessler as a guest this week on Those Weekend Golf Guys. John, I had a chance to meet uh, Peter Kessler uh, down at, in Orlando, and we realized that we'd, been, we'd known each other forever. Yeah. I mean, I, seriously, we have, uh, I mean, it's been, Peter, how long do you think it's been? Two, 15, two half, 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> two and a half weeks, and then, then all of a sudden this. I mean, we, we know each other, it's like we're brothers. This is, so this is accelerating like a series of successful dates. Yeah, it is. So at some point, you invite me down to Florida to play golf with you, Okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. I we got an opening Saturday. Come on down. We'd love That's to have you play. That's great. <laughs> yes, this we we got to do the official introduction thing, man. I mean, he's he's a lot more important than just a friend of Jeff Smith's, you know. Oh, um, no, it's pretty much as far as it goes. <laughs> pretty much it. I mean, that is the epitome, though, right? Oh. <laughs> uh, Man, you were one of the guys who basically responsible for the uh, the success of the Golf Channel. You've had uh, shows on XM Satellite Radio. You've had shows on TV. You've had shows everywhere. You're an after-dinner speaker. And I love those guys. I'm sure you've probably sat through many long, long dissertations about who you are and what you've done, always ending up with, and now the man who needs no introduction. Yeah, right. <laughs> John, you sold him short. He just didn't have something to do I'm with I'm going to let him sell himself. Channel. He was the golf channel for so long, for so many of us. He was oh, it, man. I know. I know. The and reason we well, it, was a, it was a weird thing because, you know, when it started, like a lot of new businesses, you know, there was a lot of confusion at the beginning and people were concentrating on what they specifically needed to get done. And, you know, nobody really checked in with me as we got close to launch, which was January 17th and 95, about how I was going to host the shows because the way it was set up was we had a little bit of live golf, but it was all terrible tournaments. It was Nike stuff and, and, and the worst of the LPGA events and a little bit of the PGA Tour. And I noticed that they weren't giving anybody else shows except for me. And I begged them in 98 to give Scott Van Pelt the show. And I said to them, if you don't give him a show, I said, this guy is a brilliant broadcaster and he's perfect for ESPN and you need to pay him and you need to give him his own show and you need to give Rich Lerner his own show. And they refused to give Rich his own show. And one of the guys in senior management said, well, I'm not really crazy about Jewish broadcasters. And I said, well, I'm Jewish too. And the guy said, well, no, no, no. He said, you're a Roman Catholic Italian. I said, I only use that if I tell, if I'm talking to girls, I tell them I'm Italian. <laughs> I said, you know, because that works. <laughs> but what happened was I was totally left alone as I figured out after a few months to completely set the tone and template and seriousness of the content on the golf channel because right away we were showing my stuff 10 and 12 hours a day, even though I was only recording live of 1300 shows, you know, four or five nights a week, but they would, you know, re-air all of this other stuff. So, you know, I realized it was completely up to me to make it anything I wanted to. 
and nobody ever discussed it with me and nobody ever asked me what I was going to do on a show. Nobody ever said, you know, maybe you should ask this guest this question. As a matter of fact, the night that we started, the two co-founders, which were Arnold Palmer and a businessman, a really successful businessman by the name of Joe Gibbs, who made a fortune in cable in the 70s, mm. made a fortune in cellular in the 80s, cellular phones. Right. And the two of them started the channel because Arnold stayed at this guy's house for the 1990 PGA Championship at Shoal Creek. And he said to Arnold, I've got an idea. So it really took four years to get it for them to get it together and do research and sign up the PGA Tour and all of the international tours and get content from the library of the PGA Tour and stuff. And so, you know, really what happened was they they flipped an imaginary switch basically to show the Golf Channel starting at 8 p.m. that it was now going on the air. And at five minutes to eight, just before I was going to interview Arnold for our first show ever on the Golf Channel, Arnold and the other guy, Joe Gibbs, not the one that you know about in racing and football, a different Joe Gibbs, came to me and said, okay, we've set the whole thing up for you. It's all ready to go. The studio has been built. Do you know how to handle this? Do you do you know what you're doing? And I said, just re I laughed. And I said, just relax. I said, you did everything that you were supposed to do. And I said, now you just sit back and enjoy the golf channel. And they both laughed and said, okay. And then the guy who hired me came over and whispered in my ear and said, don't be nervous. He said, you're the right guy for the job. And I said, I'm not nervous. This is why you hired me. I know exactly what to do. And literally, because it was the first television show I'd ever been on with a camera on me, even though I'd done a lot of acting and stuff and given a lot of speeches and I knew more about golf than maybe two or three other people on the planet at that point. I had studied it for 30 years, several nights a week, just for my own enjoyment. And the light came on and I said, hello, I'm Peter Kessler. You're watching Golf Talk Live. And my first guest is. And as soon as I got to that point, I realized 100% for sure that it was going to be fantastic, that the job was ideal for me and I was ideal for the job. And then it was going to call on the three or four things that I'm really, really good at. And none of the 1000 things that I'm really, really bad at. And that's exactly how it worked out. So I was really left alone to figure out the tone and template. And because that nobody else had shows, I was the one who ended up putting them on the map. And, and the rest of that story, plus thousands more. I wish we had time for that. But we do have a full hour with Peter Kessler. Hang with us here on Those Weekend Golf Guys. Be right back. I got an email just the other day. Guy said, John, how much does it cost to join $5 Golf Club? Yeah, that's what I said, too. $5, hence the name, $5 Golf Club. All right? It's not just $5 to get in, and then we hit you with more. No. $5 this month, next month, and every month that you feel you need to become a member and stay a member to get to where you want to be in your golf game. Whether you want to break 100, break 90, break 80, break 70, whatever your number is, Jeff Smith has the videos there now and new videos coming every week that will help you accomplish that goal. Okay? $5golfclub.com. Use the number $5golfclub.com. That's all it costs. $5 a month. Phenomenal 
golf instruction at a ridiculously low price. That's us, $5golfclub.com. It's us, those weekend golf guys. John Ashton in studio. Jeff Smith at the Golf Cave at Otter Creek. Peter Kessler, our guest for the entire hour here on those weekend golf guys. And Peter, when when you and and Arnold and uh, Joe Gibbs started the Golf Channel, a lot of people were like, "Oh, this this is never going to get off the ground. Nobody's going to want to watch golf twenty four seven Financially, were you guys all right from the beginning, or what? You know, they raised sixty million bucks to start the channel. And when they sold it in 99, we still only had me as the only asset, really. They sold it for $2 billion. <laughs> So I'm trying to convince some people now that, you know, if they let me do a project that I've got in mind where we have lots of golf stuff, not just me to rely on in case I go down on a plane, that, you know, if we raise a decent amount of money, we too can sell it for a lot of money. I said, but listen, it's 60 went to $2 billion in four years. And we only, the only thing we had was me and, you know, they didn't let Scott have any room to do anything because he was a news reader and Rich Lerner, the same thing. So it was really just a happy set of circumstances and it worked out really well. And I, you know, I found out what I was good at and it was always the clearest thinking that I had every single day. I never went home in 1300 shows except twice where I thought, oh, I should have done this. I never, ever, ever, ever thought it. One question with Arnold, one question with Tim Fincham, and the other 1,299.9% of the shows, I never stumbled over a word. I never second-guessed myself. I had my best thinking of the whole day. It was really it was really an amazing experience, and, and that is, of all the work I've done, the work I'm most proud of, and I consider it my life's work. Wow. Peter, you know, um, out of, out of <clears throat> I'm, I'm one of the the hundreds of millions of people who tuned into the golf channel to watch you and watch what you produced with, it wasn't just the guests that you had on, but is the whole show about it. Tell me what do you think your favorite parts were? Was it the relationships with the people or was it anything else? What do you think your favorite part of that all, all that was? Well, you know, it's funny. I, uh, in 2001, I went down to Lyford Key in Nassau, Bahamas, who invited me to play golf with him, another friend, and his good friend, Sean Connery, for a week. It's a week-long tournament, and you get one day off in the middle. And on the very first morning, and I had not yet met Sean Connery, and he was 70 at the time. He's almost 90 now. And and I was in the little breakfast room attached to the pro shop and it was old and it was, you know, it was certainly not fancy. And I was sitting there alone at 10 to eight having coffee and Sean Connery walked in and he walks over to me and says, I'm your biggest fan. And I thought, Oh, this is going to be interesting. And for the next 20 minutes, I did not get in a word. And all he did was talk about, like my acting techniques, which I had never discussed with anybody. He figured out how I prepared for shows. And he even said to me, he said, you know that when people watch your interview show, Golf Talk Live, that you make all of us feel like you're sitting there in the room with you. He said, I bet you don't know how you do that. And I said, you know, it's funny. A lot of people tell me that, and I don't know exactly how I do that. And he said, that's because it's a gift. 
And he said, and you have a number of gifts. And he said, and I have a number of gifts. And he said, the most exciting thing is, is when you discover them and you just let them run free, you just let them be wild. You never second guess them. You just trust them and let, let the gifts go where they will. And he said things to me that I had never said to anybody else. He said, you know, I know, and he smiled and laughed at me as he said it. He said, I know that you practice some of your sentences out loud during the day. He said, because you're not really an interviewer. And he said, you're not an investigative journalist. He said, what you are is a world-class actor who has created a character for all of your shows. You're slightly different on each show. And he said, and I think you consciously created these characters. And it just so happens that you're a golf savant. So you know how in your head to structure the show in such a way that I believe, said Sean, that you know every answer to every question before you ask it on the show. He said, so I figure that what you do is that you have this one-hour canvas and that you're essentially writing what's a one-hour play that you're never going to get to rehearse. You've got to get it right the first time in rehearsal, and you can't have misjudged in your head the length of the answers that the guests are going to give because I've noticed that you have about 20 questions per show that I've never seen a piece of paper, and I understand you don't use a prompter. And he said, but you always get it in. And he said, because I can tell. He said, because it follows a chronological pattern. And he said, and you go into the places that we at home want you to go to. And I acknowledged that all of that was the case, that I had never discussed it with anybody, that yes, I had created these characters. Yes, I knew what the answers were going to be. And he, and he said to me, and also, obviously, you're not intimidated by meeting famous people, whether it be me or Jack Nicholas or Ronald Palmer. He said, so you're completely comfortable and you feel like you're an equal, and you are because there's a mutual respect. So this goes on for 20 minutes. I never get to speak. <laughs> never get to speak. Yeah, if it were me, I don't think I could speak. Peter Kessler, hang out with us because we have we booked a whole hour, which, man, and uh, hopefully we won't be boring you soon. But there's plenty more of that story, and uh, we happen to know a little bit. Uh, you're going to get some inside information coming up on actually which Bond girl did Sean Connery like the best? Yes, Peter Kessler is able to pull that information out of people, and hopefully we can pull some information out of Peter Kessler an entire hour as our guest right here on Those Weekend Golf Guys. Hang out with us because there's a lot more coming up, and we're going to be right back. Of course, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash golfguys. Go there, please, and like us. Hey, Jeff, I got a letter, $5 golf club. It was addressed to you, but it came to me. But it said, Jeff, man, I took your advice from the show twice. One, you advised me to join $5golfclub.com. I did. Two is you advised me to buy the best ball I, I could afford, and I'm getting those Strixons, Keystars. I'm paying about 36 bucks a dozen for them. So I used to lose two balls a round, and I played a round a week. That's eight balls a month. That's $24 a month. He said, after some of the lessons at $5 Golf Club, I'm not losing that many anymore. I lose maybe three a month. That's nine bucks. Ooh. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. I think that's good math. It's good math, man. He's spending nine bucks on lost balls, five bucks on us. That's 14 bucks. He's still making a $10 profit. <laughs> that's 
right. Go to fightalleygolfclub.com, listen to me, and make money. How do you like that? And we're back. We are those weekend golf guys. John Ashton here in studio. Jeff Smith at the Golf Cave at Otter Creek. Peter Kessler, he has been and will continue to be our guest for the entire hour this weekend here on those weekend golf guys. A man whose entire life has been as stellar as it is primarily because he loved and played golf. So, Peter, after the conversation in the coffee shop, how was it like playing golf with James Bond? And I had been told five times by my host before I went down to Lightford Key, do not ask Sean anything about James Bond. You just can't bring up James Bond. So after this 20 minutes of blowing smoke at me by one of the great actors of all time and one of my heroes and the only good golf scene I think that's ever been in any movie is the golf scene in Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. And the reason that that scene works is because they're both recreational players. They're eight or ten handicaps. They're not a bunch of guys who aren't professionals pretending to be Ben Hogan wearing a hat six sizes too large for him. And Glenn Ford, who played Ben Hogan and Follow the Sun, started limping before the accident occurred. Anyway, so we... We, we get out to the first tee, and we both hit our tee shots, and we're riding together, and we're 10 yards off the tee in the cart, and I just looked at him, and I said, so, double O, and nobody calls him double O. I said, so, double O, who was the greatest Bond chick of them all? And that's where we started, and we talked about it for the whole round, and I said, boy, that's going to make some book, and he said, yes, I'm going to call it the memoir of an amnesiac. And he told me stories about every single Bond girl that you could possibly want to know. I, I even asked him who had the greatest breasts of any of the Bond girls. And he told me it was the woman, Honor Blackman, who played Pussy Galore um, in Goldfinger. And he said he was 35 and she was 42. But of all the Bond women that he had ever been with, which was all of them, that she had the finest pair of breasts. So we, we got into some serious stuff. And when my host heard me say, great chip, double O, he looked at me like, are you out of your freaking mind? You can't talk to him like that. And double O catches the whole scene and he goes, Peter can call me anything he wants. So we had a fantastic week. And so, you know, so Sean pointed, pointed out to me the things that made it so much fun for me. Wow. That's really cool. I, you know, I'm, I'm totally impressed that you remembered all that because if Sean Connery ever came to me and said, I'm your biggest fan, that's all I would have heard. My head would have exploded and there would have been nothing else left. You know, that's it. Well, you know, it was, it was, it was such, it was such an odd thing. And he looked so fantastic. He's, he's really tall. He's like six, three, six, three and a half. Mm -hmm. And he was 70 or 71 and he was in really, really great shape. He was very, very athletic. He was actually the best 18 I've ever played with. He always broke 90. He rarely made a number bigger than five. I don't remember him ever saying, give me a triple or give me a seven. He could get in around the greens in regulation, but he was a great little pitcher. You know, he, even if he had 40 yards, he could hit it to 15 feet. So he was rarely three putting and occasionally he'd make a 15 footer. And he probably helped our team more than any of the other three guys on the team. And he was the worst player of the four of us. And we won the gross and net for the whole week. It was absolutely fantastic. Wow. Wow. That must have been a blast. That was a fun story. That story, James Bond is cool, but uh, who who is the best golfer 
that you've ever played with? The best golfer I've ever played with, uh, Jack Nicholas. Um, uh, I only played a few holes with Jack, but it was incredible. And, uh, you know, it's funny. In the early 70s, well, in the 70s, they used to hold the Tournament of Champions at La Costa Resort and Country Club in San Diego. And I happened to go to school in San Diego at that time, and I was deeply in love with golf, and I was reading golf history just for my own enjoyment three or four nights a week and had been doing so as a teenager. I was otherwise normal, but I just loved golf history, and it never occurred to me to do anything with it. And uh, I forgot the question already. What was the question? I'm getting all <laughs> best golfer you've played with. Jack oh yeah. So yeah. so so in 1972, when I was 21 years old, and they've got the Tournament of Champions at La Costa Country Club, where I was a member, because it only cost $500 to join, and it was $10 a month in dues, Jeez. and it was tw 20 minutes away from where I lived, and it was a really really great golf course. And in those days, literally. Nobody went to golf tournaments. If the three of us went to the first tee on the first day of the Tournament of Champions and said, we'll meet in two hours on the 10th tee, we would run into each other 15 times on the front nine because <laughs> nobody was there. And so like on a Tuesday, I would go up early Tuesday morning and I would wait for Jack to play his practice round and there was no one there. And I could walk right up the middle of the fairway with Jack Nicholas and his caddy, Angelo Argia. And there might be one other person who tagged along, but usually it was like a tour official or somebody from La Costa. And, and I would talk to Jack the whole 18 holes. I mean, that's when I you know, started first interviewing people without realizing it. Um, and actually, I played with Gene Sarazen by accident later the same year at La Costa, who just showed up with Reggie Jackson. And it turned out Reggie and I were both dating the same girl. And I said, so let's the three of us have dinner. And he looked at me like I just got off the shuttle from Venus. And uh, but we actually did. But so I followed Jack. He let you hit chip shots. He would talk to you about anything that you wanted. And then one of those Tuesdays, I went to the range with him. And there were maybe three people watching him hit balls. And in those days, the caddies used to have catcher's mitts, uh, baseball gloves, and and a little bag. And so you would hit to your caddy out in the field, and there may be 20 or 30 caddies that guys are hitting to. And if you waved your caddy back, it meant go back 10 yards because I'm going to hit one club longer. So Jack's hitting seven irons, 150. And a guy next to me, and we're sitting right next to Jack. There's three other people. One guy says, well, I can hit my seven iron 150. And Nicholas waves Angelo back 10 yards and hits seven iron. Then he waves him back 10 yards. Then he waves him back 10 yards. Then he waves him back 10 yards. We got to 190, and Jack's still hitting seven iron, and they're just landing at Angelo's feet. And he turned around and looked at the guy sitting next to me, because Jack knew me at that point because I'd been spending time with him the whole day and he looked at the guy next to me and he said I can hit the seven iron as far as I want to he said I choose to hit it 150 <laughs> yards and that just shut the whole thing down and so I'm sure there are uh, many more stories uh, we'll only get to a portion of them but we are uh, very anxious to do that and we are going to do that as soon as we come right back we are those weekend golf guys don't anybody move 
You know, if you like great golf stories and you you are here and you're going to continue to be here for Peter Kessler's stories, which uh, we, we have plenty more to come, you may want to check out a book called Two Good Rounds, Golf Stories from the World's Greatest Athletes. It's by Alyssa Godet. She's been on the show a couple times. A wonderful woman, great author. And it's one of the books we are giving away at the end of February at random to people who are now or will be by the end of February subscribers to Those Weekend Golf Guys newsletter. Very simple, just go to thoseweekendgolfguys.com and sign up for the newsletter at the bottom of basically any page. But that book and a whole lot more, too, like The King of Clubs, The Greatest Golf Marathon of 1938, a, a book by Jim Ducebella, uh, Greatest of Life's Frustrations, The Game of Limitless Fun, all of which can be spelled by golf, by Lane Luoma, which is a lighthearted look at one of the world's most frustrating games. Michael Anthony's uh, Mental Keys to Improve Golf, Mental Golf Tips from Michael Anthony, and, of course, The A-Swing by David Ledbetter. A lot more, too. You want to see how many there are and what they are? Simply go to thoseweekendgolfguys.com. We have a small yet loyal following of junior golfers, 12 to 18-year-olds. I want to address myself to them right now. Listen, guys, girls, if you are serious about golf, there is a mom, there is a dad, there's a grandmother, a grandfather somewhere that are so psyched, but maybe they don't show it. They don't want to push, but they would love you to get involved in the game of golf. So why don't you go to them right now? Say, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, I want to get better at this game. I want to get good at this game. I want to learn from a guy who has junior champions, high school, collegiate champions. He's even got a student who's kicking butt on the web.com tour. And it only costs five bucks a month. And I can learn at my own pace. And parents are going to be able to learn from their phones, which you know they don't drop out of their hands anyway. $5golfclub.com. Join for your kids' sake. Okay, we're back just like we promised. I'm John Ashton in studio. He is Jeff Smith. We are just listening intently to more stories from Peter Kessler. The best golf I ever played with a great golfer was Ernie Els in 97, right after he won the U.S. Open and Congressional, when it wasn't clear whether he or Tiger would turn out to be number one. And of course, we found out 10 minutes later it would be Tiger, but we played around at Lake Nona. And I had interviewed Ernie, so I knew him. And I knew his teacher and his friend, Robert Baker, because he had been on my teaching show. And I knew my partner, Fulton Allen, because he had been on my show. And he was a complete nut job, a bipolar fellow who wouldn't take his medicine. So he was completely insane. So, so Ernie says to me, what's your handicap? And I said, I'm a 10. And he said, well, you can have 10 shots. I said, what are you talking about? I said, you just won the U.S. Open 10 days ago. You're arguably the best player on the planet right this minute. You've got to be a plus six or plus seven. I got to get 15 shots. And he said, nope, you get 10 shots. So I make two normal pars on the first two holes, down the middle, middle of the green, two putts, looked like I knew what I was doing. And Ernie got mad at me and said, I knew that it was a mistake to give you 10 shots. And I said, look, I said, I will expose my game over the course of the rest of the round. And at that point, he then made... 10 birdies and an eagle and on the other holes that I swear this is true on the holes that he didn't make the birdies or the eagle his partner birdied every single one of them so starting oh. on the third hole they had uh, 15 birdies and an eagle 
and we had one birdie because Fulton, <laughs> Fulton made it on 17. So after about three or four holes, and I didn't have much experience playing with those guys yet, and I had played with O'Meara, and there was no money involved, and I, I said to Fulton, so what are we playing for? And he said, $250, $250, Nassau, $100 one-down presses, $100 birdies, $200 eagles. <laughs> so so at that point, I, I hadn't completely freaked out yet, but a few holes later, I started freaking out when I realized they were birdieing every hole. And all I could count was in my head was how much money we were losing, and there was no way I could possibly pay it. And so we finished the round, and I figured we lost like $2,800. It was some crazy, crazy number. So we drive drive the carts from the 18th green to the cart barn, and Fulton turns to Ernie and Robert Baker, who was the other guy, and said, well, we'll let it ride to the next time. <laughs> and so was I glad to hear that. And, 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 and then I found out that those guys really don't pay each other. The only, they just kind of keep score with the money, and then everybody forgets about the money. And the only guy that I ever played in a game with who wanted to be paid was Chris DeMarco. And not one other person, not Tiger, who I've spent a bunch of time with. And um, I played 75 or 100 rounds with Tommy Bolt. And we never, you know, we would play for something, but nobody ever exchanged, no money ever changed hands. And so, you know, so, you know, and I played a lot of golf with Arnold and a lot of golf with Tommy and um, just a few holes with Tiger a few holes with Jack. And so, you know, I've played with basically the best players of all time. Well, I know you don't get intimidated uh, interviewing the rich and famous, but do you ever get intimidated playing golf with the best players in the world? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. The, <laughs> the first day that I started at the Golf Channel, my assignment was to go out to Latrobe, Pennsylvania interview Arnold for a few days where he was born and raised and had a home on the golf course, which he eventually bought. And, uh, I got there and that's, that was in October of 94, but we weren't going on the air till January 95, but they wanted me to get to know Arnold because Arnold would be the first guest and Arnold was the co-founder and the chairman and the most popular player in the history of golf. So I go up to Latrobe and, and, uh, when you, uh, when I'll, I'll just tell you one of the stories we had an amazing thing happen when I first walked in the door where they had the four cards that were supposed to be from the four Sundays that Arnold won the masters in 58, 60, 62 and 64 under this 10 by 12 frame with a green masters jacket and ribbons and seals and signatures and really official looking. And when I walked in, and this is my first day of employment, I walk in and there's nobody there. And it's, this thing is right in front of you, 10 by 12. And I look at the card from 58 and I, you know, I, I, I knew what Arnold shot on the last nine and I looked at it and I appreciated it. And then I look at the card from 1960 where Arnold finished three, three, three on the last day to beat Ken Venturi by a shot. And I'm looking at this card and this says three, four, six instead of three, three, three. So I know it's the wrong card for sure. And then I figured out what card it was, which was from 1961 instead of 1960, where he finished three, four, six from the middle of the 18th fairway, fairway making a double, a, a double bubble to go ahead and lose to Gary player by a shot. So at this moment, I'm looking at it and going, I can't believe how many people must have seen this and nobody's picked up on this. So Arnold's aid of 
50 of his whole life from the time 65 to when Arnold passed away, who ran his life. Doc Gippen walked in. I introduced myself. He introduced himself. I said, hey, Doc. And I pointed out to him exactly what I pointed out to you. And he said, that can't possibly be right. He said, you know how many people have seen this? He said, you know, you don't want to get fired on your first day. He said, you, you need to be sure of your ground. And I said, Doc. It's 100% absolutely certain you got the wrong card, and I'm telling you, it's the card from the next year, and it's a mistake. So he said, how would you like to tell Arnold? So I said, no problem. So he goes and gets Arnold out of a back room, and Arnold comes out, and he's got fingers like bananas, and each one of his fingers is twice as wide as any of your fingers, and you lose your hand. And I didn't get nervous, and I realized I wasn't nervous, which was interesting to me. And so I said to Arnold exactly what I told you, and I said, you know, that's that's when you screwed the whole thing up and lost to your good friend, Gary Player. And so he turns around and he looks at the frame and he looks at the card and he looks at the card and he looks at the card. And then finally, without turning around, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, I can't believe I lost to that son of a bitch. And that's how we started our relationship. <laughs> so... Then, then we do two hours of interviews, and I knew more about Arnold than Arnold knew about Arnold. So we finish that. It's a Monday. We go down to the range. The club is closed. And he looks around and says, you know, who do we have for a game today? And I pulled my shoes out from underneath the chair I was sitting in and said, I'm in. And then they had the club pro, no, the club champ and the next best player at the club. And the club pro was also there but was not going to play. So we go down to the range. Arnold hits five balls, and he looks at everybody and goes, okay, what am I doing differently? So he asked the club pro, I don't know, club champ, I don't know, the other good player, I don't know. And then he looks at me and goes, you think you know everything about me. What am I doing different? And I said, for 20 bucks, I'll tell you. <laughs> and, he, and, he said he, and he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, dead serious, Arnold. And he said, okay, what am I doing differently? And he, I said, you have squared up your right foot at a dress so that it is now perpendicular to the line of flight where usually you have it slightly flared. And he said, that's right. And I said, where's my 20? And, and, and he said, well, and he said, we'll play for it. And I said, no, you're my, you're my partner. I said, no. I, I said, you're my partner. He said, no way. He said, I'm playing you for the 20. So, I, we go to the range, and I was probably a, I was a good player. I was probably a two or three. That was the best golf of my life. I was playing right around there, and I could shoot 75 pretty much anywhere. And, um, and I was making my normal swing on the range. But, man, I got on the first tee, and I got nervous. And I just started hooking balls all over the place. And Arnold is completely insane. So if you're right in the middle of the fairway, but he's 30 yards ahead of you in the middle of the fairway, he stands at his ball and waits for you to hit yours over his head. <laughs> and I was totally freaked out. So I'm aiming to the right. I'm aiming to the left. I don't want to kill the guy. We get to the 13th hole. The cart path runs down the left side. I am left of the cart path, and he has parked his cart on the cart path, and he's now in the middle of the fairway, so I can't hit him. So I'm looking at my shot, and I go, you know, if I just hit this over the top of Arnold's cart with a three iron, and I and I can draw this out of this not-so-good lie, I could probably chase this onto the first third of the green. So I take out the three iron, and I play the shot, 
and I hit it solid, but it didn't get up in the air very high. And it traveled over his golf bag, over the steering wheel, and went right right through the plexiglass windshield of his cart. And it made a hole the size of a grapefruit. And the ball went another 50 yards. At that moment, the president of the Golf Channel calls Arnold, who I didn't even know who the guy was. I hadn't met him yet, my first day. And Arnold said, yep, here with Petey. Just made his first hole in one. <laughs> uh that's, so that's, <laughs> that was uh, that was the first time we played, and it got a lot better after that. I mean, we when we uh, so obviously I had the most ridiculous opening day with the business with the scorecard, the right foot, the windshield, and you know, and and he knew that you know his celebrity didn't impress or bother me in any way whatsoever. That I talked to him like I would talk to anybody else, and. So we hit it off right away. I'm sure there are uh, many more stories. Uh, We'll only get to a portion of them, but we are uh, very anxious to do that. And we are going to do that as soon as we come right back. We are those weekend golf guys. Don't anybody move. A lot of us are looking for a miracle. You know, we go out and we buy a $500 golf club thinking it's going to give us straighter, longer drives. We buy a $150 golf club thinking it's going to get us out of the sand traps more easily and more often. We buy $200 golf clubs just because we want to get closer to that pin. Well, you know, you don't need a $500 golf club, a $200 golf club, a $150 golf club. All you need is a $5 golf club because the problem may not be the club. It may be your grip. It may be your stance. It may be your ball position. It may be your swing plane. It could be anything that an expensive golf club is not going to fix, but a $5 golf club can fix because Jeff Smith is a genius, and he will be able to guide you where you need to go. Check it out, $5golfclub.com. That's all it costs, 5 bucks a month. Just one last quick story. One day we're playing at Bay Hill here in Orlando, and he would have a game pretty much every day, and it was fivesomes, and I would get invited over, and it was called the shootout. So Arnold and I, on this one occasion, are playing the other three guys in our group. We beat them on the front side, eight, six, four, and two. We come to the 18th hole on the back nine. We're six, four, and two, so we have a chance to win one more way, of which Arnold reminds me as we're walking to the tee. And I'm basically carrying the team. He's shooting about par, but I'm shooting 75 or 6, and at that point I'm getting maybe 6 shots or something. And uh, this was a few years later, and my game was starting to leave because I was hosting a teaching show, and I just completely lost my game after 6 months of having 25 different teachers. And ultimately, (laughs) ultimately 450 teachers came on my show. Four. Hundred and fifty, and just confused the hell out of you totally, right? <laughs> I I went from being a seventy-five shooter to I couldn't break a hundred, yeah. and I mean, and it took it took one year, and I literally couldn't break a hundred from seventy-five, and so we get to the last hole. Arnold wants to win one more way, and maybe for the first time ever, I outdrove him. He hit it down the left, I hit it down the right, which is preferable, and he hits a second shot on the front of the green at Bay Hill. And the 18th hole is that famous hole with the water in front, and they put the pin right over the water, sure. where Gomez made the eagle to beat Greg Norman. And um, and Arnold 
all day had been saying to me, what are you going to hit? And I would say seven iron. And he would say, it plays a little longer, hit the six. So I kept hitting irons over the back of all the damn greens. And I'm getting it up and down from really bad bunker lies, downhill stuff, crazy chips. And for some reason, I was just playing really well that day. So we get to 18, and I and at this time, by this time, I've decided to ignore no anything he says. So we get he walks over, as I, and I said seven. He said it plays a little bit longer, hit the six. So I pretended to switch clubs, <laughs> and we're riding together. And so I hit the seven, catch it right on the button, knock it into the water. Couldn't believe it didn't get there. I absolutely pureed the thing. So for the only time that day, he was right. And he got got out of the car, and it looked like smoke was coming out of his nose. He was snorting. And he looks, and he look, looks into my bag, and then he looks at me and wouldn't speak to me for the rest of the hole. He makes par, so we win six, four, and two. Totally angry that we didn't win seven, five, three, and one. Took him 30 minutes to calm down, and finally he looks at me as we're sitting and having a drink afterwards with the other guys. He goes, you you know I won a major championships, right? <laughs> and, uh, we, we, we had a number of experiences like that, and, you know, and I laughed, and, you know, but we, 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 we were friends, and, you know, we would talk about girls and all kinds of stuff that you know no nobody else would be willing to raise with arnold but i i, I was happy to talk about anything that came to my mind <laughs> wow fantastic peter just two quick questions and then we'll let you go okay sure first one is do you see anybody today destined for the greatness that is a palmer or a nicholas or hogan or any of those guys that we revere from the past and the second question is what are you doing these days and what do we need to check out there to go well i would say i don't see an arnold or jack i mean you're talking about guys with you know eight and 18 majors and one of the one sixty three times on tour i think and jack won 72 or three and um you know, and they and remember too that, you know, as they started, there wasn't much money in it, and you were playing for trophies and hoping to make a living. And I so I think we're in a situation today where we probably have four guys, in my view, who could win thirty tour events and five or more majors. Now we know Phil's already done that, so mm-hmm. I think Justin Thomas can do it. Right now he's at seven and one, but he's twenty four years old, so he's got. 20 years to win 13 tournaments and and four majors. I think he can do that. Jordan Spieth, he's got three of the five, and he's got 11 wins. So, you know, unless he loses his motivation or his health or anything like that, he's got 20 years to just get, you know, another, you know, 19 wins and two majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dustin Johnson's a question mark because he's almost 10 years older. He's nine years older than those guys. He's light on majors, but he's got 17 wins, but 30 and five is not out of the question for him. And then, of course, there's Rory McIlroy, who, you know, is the worst putter on tour, which is problematic. And he's got four majors, but he's got 13, I think, PGA Tour wins. And he plays a bit in Europe, which makes it harder to rack up the U.S. wins. So I think those four guys could get to 30 and five, and they could have 
an almost Mickelson-like career, um, but I think they can exceed, you know, a lot of guys in terms. Of, I think they'll all get to five. Dustin's the only one I'm not sure about. I mean, Rory's only one away, and right. um, and I think they can all get to 30 wins. But the hardest thing to do in golf is obviously to win major championships. In the 1970s, Jack played in 40 major championships. He finished in the top 10 35 times. But what's important to me is he won eight of the 40, so that's 20%. And he finished second eight more times, so that's 20%. So he was first or second. 40% of the time in 40 majors in the 70s, to, which leads me to the second hardest thing to do in golf is to consistently be in contention time after time so that you can close out a victory because you are in position to do it. Right. And what we had, and Tiger was obviously able to do the same thing. At one point, he won seven of 11 majors. The problem with today's crop of golfers is what I call the Phil Mickelson syndrome. Phil made his whole career out of winning two or three times a year and then playing badly the whole rest of the year ever since he joined the tour in 91. Never got a season-ending award, never player of the year, never money, never tournaments, never stroke average, nothing. No season-ending awards because his whole career was built on two or three good weeks a year. And in some cases, they were the right two or three weeks. I feel like that's what we have a little bit today, even though I think Justin and Jordan, Dustin, or Sir and Rory is certainly more competitive than two or three good weeks of the year, but it takes lots and lots of good weeks of the year yeah. to be able to be in position often enough to close some. So I don't see anybody with that level of consistency, which is why I think we won't have a dominant player and which is why I think we will have musical chairs at the top, which is what we have now and have had for the last couple of years. And in terms of what I'm doing now, I'm working on a project with some guys which might put me on camera again, which would be cool, and let me do some shows like I used to do. Um, and the next time we have a chat, hopefully it's fur further enough along that I can tell you exactly what's going on, and hopefully it's happening. Because every year somebody comes to me and says, do you want to do TV? And every year I say yes. And you need two things. You need a channel, distribution. Mm -hmm. And you need investor dollars or ad sales in advance. Mm -hmm. And every year, one of those two things falls through. But I think I've got the right guys and I've got a vision of what I'm trying to do. And I'm writing a book and uh, I do uh, a lot of radio stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm afraid I go on too long like today. But I know when I hosted a radio show at Sirius XM, I liked the long answers because I wanted to hear the story. So exactly. that I sort of morphed into the interviewee role as opposed to the interviewer role. Exactly. We didn't invite John so we could hear ourselves, Peter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody invites John, so, you know, let's start with that. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> I told you he was a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, some friend. You prepped him well. Peter Kessler, man, it, it has gone so fast. We do appreciate the time you have spent with us. And uh, you need sure. any help on that TV thing coming up, let us know, man. You know? I may have you guys produce the whole thing. Hey, we could do that for you. <laughs> okay, buddy. I really, really enjoyed being – I've heard really nice things about the show, and I'd, I'd heard that it was different and that you guys – went off the beaten path and you certainly do. And it was really refreshing and, and really fun for me. And you've asked me stuff that I haven't really been asked for a while, if at all. And 
So uh, it was great to talk about some of the things that you steered me in the direction. So you guys lived up to your billing. Really, really great. I was really impressed, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thanks, Thank Peter. Thank you for the good words, man. We'll, uh, we'll use that. Sure. We're going to write that down and use that as a promo sometime soon. Peter Kessler, thank you very much, sir, for spending time with us here with those weekend golf guys. Have a great, great day and a great week and play good, fellas. Thanks, too, Peter. Man. Have a great day. Thanks. Same to All you. Right. Man, this one's going in the archives, which, by the way, happen to be located at audioboom.com. You can check out this episode or any episodes you may have missed or may want to check out again. Those Weekend Golf Guys is our website. Go there and uh, check out the whole site. Remember to uh, subscribe to the newsletter and be in the running for that golf library we will be giving away at the end of the month of February. Peter Kessler, you check him out too and keep your eyes open for uh, anything that he may be doing in the uh, immediate future here. Thoseweekendgolfguys.com, facebook.com slash golfguys. You can follow us on Twitter at WKND Golf Guys. We're thinking about Instagram, but to be honest with you, we're baby boomers and we have no idea how that stuff works. Go to $5golfclub.com and, uh, and join up for 5 bucks a month. See some of Jeff Smith's videos, and if you want to get a little more involved, we can explain to you how you can do that too. But anyhow... Have yourself a great week. We will be back same place, same time next weekend. And until then, hey, hopefully you can go play some golf. 